Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of all of the action happening across the Division I college tennis world. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. Now, some of you may be aware of this as you've listened to our other Crack Rackets podcast, but we're expecting a new family member to our Crack Rackets team as the Westoff family adds another kid in into the mix over the next few days. As such, super producer Daniel Westoff going to be out of commission, and he does not ask very much of us here at Crack Rackets, but he did ask that we pre-record these shows so he can go home, spend some time with his sister as she has her second child. And of course, we are sending our love to the Westoff family on that fact. But as such, we're pre-recording today's episode. Now, normally these are recorded live on YouTube Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be doing that every week after this, but we're recording this here on Monday night. So if anything crazy happens over the next 24 hours, we do apologize for that fact. We also are unable to interact with all of you in the chat today, but of course we will get back to answering all of your questions live on next week's show. Of course, that said, still have plenty of exciting to action to talk about from the division one women's college tennis world over the past week. We want to recap all of that today. Talk about the Texas Pepperdine road trips. Talk about the blue gray classic. What's going on on the West coast, all the other results as well. And if you're going to break down anything happening in the division one women's college tennis world, there's only one guest you can turn to to have on your show. And he joins me once again today. Of course, you know him best as our co-favorite writer, for our website, crackrackets.com, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog, a recognizable figure now in the college tennis community. It is our friend, West Coast correspondent, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great, Gruskin. You know, I, I know you're good at the tease. I didn't know that applied to uh, family members as well. I mean, this Westoff baby has been, you know, the through line of so many of these broadcasts. I'm like on pins and needles waiting. Uh, but congrats to the Westoff family. Very excited for them. Um, and yeah, recognized this weekend. Uh, shout out to Eric, who came up and introduced himself. Uh, it was great to interact with folks and chat about all things college tennis, all things feedback on the pod. So it was really uh, an exciting weekend. Wait till you get your first naysayer who comes up to you and is upset with some sort of point you made. Or, you know, again, I think those are the more fun ones. Diffusing those situations <laughs> to me are always enjoyable. I will also say this as the son of an OB Jin, Yes, baby talk has always been, I suppose, a 
pertinent part of my life. So maybe that's why I've emphasized it so much, but yeah, yeah, there better be an Alexander in that name somewhere at this point with all the promoing and all the hyping I've done. I mean, it's a free plug for this new Westoff baby. Uh, But of course, speaking of plugs, have to give a shout out to our friends at Swing Vision, the power behind these deciding point episodes. And look, for the latest and greatest in tennis technology, turn to our friends at Swing Vision. They make breaking down and improving your great game that much simpler for all of us. And the older you get, the less time you have for things like private lessons or group play, right? Whenever you can get on court, it's got to be a valuable experience. All you got to do is download the Swing Vision app, set it up on the back fence while you play. You'll have a free film session. When you're done breaking down all of your makes, all your misses, the things you need to improve all in one location, it's artificial intelligence for your tennis. You can learn more about the Swing Vision app by clicking on the descri- uh, link in the description to this podcast. You're going to want to download it once you do. And when you do, don't forget to use our promo code. You'll let them know we sent you there. Use that promo code CRACK20. You'll get $20 discount, a 14-day pro trial. I'm telling you, folks, if you want to get better at tennis, you're no longer in the juniors. Swing Vision is what to turn to. Learn more by clicking on that link in the description. Use that promo code CRACK20. When you inevitably do sign up, with all that said, we got a lot of college tennis to get into here on today's show. So let's do that. And let's start with the flashy results. Couple of one-in-one road trips for two of our top three contenders entering this 2022 college tennis season. And let's start with the match you were in person for. And of course, I joked and called you our West Coast correspondent. You got to catch some Stanford, Texas action in person. Texas dropping the match to the Cardinal, the Cardinal earning their biggest win of the season by far. And for this young group of Connie Ma, Yepafanova, and, you know, again, others as well, turning the page on that Michaela Gordon era. What a win for the Cardinal after missing out on the national indoors, losing to Virginia. And you look for Stanford, what was perhaps most impressive about the victory. You know, they dropped the doubles point but ultimately take five victories in singles. They win all four of the matches that go three sets. Connie Ma gets a win over Peyton Stearns. Yepafanova gets a win over Kylie Collins as well. Let's talk about it from the Stanford side first before we get, you know, dive deep into Texas's weekend. This is the moment for the Cardinal, right? This is the breakout victory you need to get your season rocking and rolling. Yeah, I mean, this was a much needed win for Stanford, right? I mean, you had two, the past two NCAA champions facing off Stanford, 2019, uh, Texas, 2021, you know, well, plug for you know, UNC, UNC 2020. Yeah, I is, get it. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I'll do it for you. Um, so this is a huge match, right? And it was interesting because this is a very untested Stanford team, right? Only played what five matches. Yes. They lost on the road to Virginia, but that was really their only test of the season. So I was curious to see how not only this team would respond, but ultimately they're reliant on a host of freshmen as well. Right. And so facing off of it against Texas, which while still young, you know, has, has quite the impressive pedigree and also just even their freshmen have been more tested this season in the dual, dual, dual season making indoors. So I thought it was super impressive for them to respond and take five singles after dropping the doubles point they looked really bad in doubles. They really need to find answers. Which is interesting because they beat Virginia in doubles. 
They did. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. They beat Virginia in doubles who Virginia has at times looked excellent in doubles yeah. this season. Um, so, you know, uh, the transit of the property just doesn't work in college. Freshman get a right freshman. Yeah, exactly. And then that's what it was, right? I mean, some vulnerabilities at number two doubles, but ultimately, I mean, Stanford just looked really impressive up and down the lineup. Um, so you know, I have some follow-up questions for you okay. on that lineup. If I may, yeah. let's start at the top. Yeah. Connie Ma beats Fiona Crawley at the fall Nats. Yep. And, you know, I think makes the quarterfinals there. And she played Emma Navarro two, three sets at the national yep. indoor weekend. She now gets a defining win. This is one for the resume. Three yep. sets over Peyton Stearns. Talk to me about the freshman's performance. If you haven't seen Stearns, you know what you're getting. The serve, the forehand, the pace and the power she plays with. How is Ma able to break that down? Yeah, we'll talk about the Stearns piece of this when we talk about Texas. Um, you know, I actually didn't think Connie Ma played particularly well. Granted, this was my first time seeing her in person, but I did watch um, the majority of that Navarro match on the stream. Look, Connie Ma has all the all the tools in the tool bag to take on someone like Peyton Stearns. And if, you know, if she could get she was able to get back that first forehand more often than not, and therefore kind of equal the footing in the match. She was able to throw off Stearns rhythm, give her some drop shots, come to net at times. Right. Just give Stearns different looks throughout the, the, the course of the match and ultimately just absorb the pace of Stearns when the ball actually did go in the court in a way that I thought was really effective. Um, ultimately though, this match, as many Stearns matches are, this match was not on Connie Ma's racket, but she did a phenomenal job of staying in the match long enough to eventually have that payoff. Talk to me about the power tennis of Yepa Fanova. I imagine her versus Collins was explosive. This was the best match of the of the day for sure. Um, highest quality, I would say as well. Um, you know, if you haven't seen Yepa Finova play, strong serve, you know, plays differently than a lot of these players in the fact that she hits extremely flat, very low margin for error. I mean, not only over the net, but also, I mean, painting lines, right? And so this was high power tennis between the two of them. I was impressed with Yepa Finova's fight in the second set. She was down, lost the first set 6-2, had chances to close out the second, but Colin's serve paid off. Ultimately, Yepa Fanova has some variety in her game. She loves to employ the drop shot in a way that I thought was not always effective, but probably effective in the in the meta sense in terms of keeping Collins um, thrown off. And I mean, that was just a battle. Those two players are super evenly matched. Typical Stanford match attendee using the term meta here on the podcast. <laughs> Couldn't be more fitting. Um, yeah. And then, you know, again, I could ask you about all the players. Freshman Valencia Shoe gets a three set win. I'm sure she was impressive. But what I want to talk about big picture, the quality at the bottom, because for Sarah Choi to get a two and zero win over Rapalu, you know, I don't care if Rapalu's not playing her best to start the season two and zero from Sarah Choi. How yeah. deep is this team? Well, I, I have to talk about Sarah Choi because uh, if anyone sees me in person, say hello. But you'll also see that like the structure of my matches, I'll hang at the top courts for like the first set and then I'll move over to the bottom, make sure I get a good lay of the land and then we'll go where the action um, follows suit. See, I'm going to have Westoff quack all of that out live because you don't want people tracking your motion. Trust me. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> so but so the the bottom bank of points, Sarah Choi was the best player out there. I mean, she is playing so well. I mean, you might not think of her as like a power player and you probably certainly not in the Yepa Finova Collins range, but she was just taking it to Rapalu off the ground. Just so consistent, uh, extremely solid. I mean, she didn't miss a ball. 
and she was hitting with pace. And I was so impressed with her at the bottom of the lineup. It's an interesting question about depth though, because I would argue that she's probably not their sixth best player, right? I think they have the vulnerability there at the number four position where they've essentially done like a line replacement with Anna Geller and India Houghton. I was going to say is hot. Well, yeah, that was the other thing. No Geller this weekend. I apologize. Go on. Yeah. So no, I mean, no Geller this weekend. She struggled at kickoff weekend. They basically just replaced India uh, with her at number four. This is a player who only played three dual matches last year Uh, from my own eyes, not their number four player. And so that's the question for me. I don't think they're going to be able to maintain Valencia shoe or Sarah Choi at five and six. I think they're going to have to move up. And if Sarah Choi ends up playing four, you know, then more, you introduce more questions. How happy would they be to just slide Michaela Gordon into that spot? Man, are they just a player short? I know. Right. And that's what we were saying. Right. When we were looking at the the preseason, I mean, she was there. She was there. (laughs) She could grab a racket. So my broader question, last one on Stanford, then we'll switch gears here. Do they still have the depth even without her? We've seen the Oklahomas of the world, the Pepperdines of the world. And, you know, we were talking about this on a call last night. It's kind of the inverse of the men on the men's side. No one's really playing their best right now on the women's side. There are a lot of really good teams. Like there is no clear cut favorite. Is Stanford, after watching this match, and obviously you get a win over Texas, you feel pretty good about being the national indoor quarterfinalist who went two and one on the weekend. Are they in that mix, even sans Gordon? No. Um, And that was my takeaway on the weekend. Um, Because the reality is, is that Sarah Choi would be a phenomenal six for them, but she's not, she can't stay there. And so the reality is, is watching the players who were at five, I think of someone like a Pisareva at Oklahoma, like, Valencia Shu is a an interesting player. She's a total backboard, right? Shades of Emma Higuchi of the past from for Stanford. It's I think it's going to be tough sledding for her against some of these um, uh, more experienced teams, and so they're going to be. It's going to be hard for them to find two singles points consistently at the bottom of the lineup. I'll sell my Stanford makes the final stock, but I'm still holding for them in the mix. I do think they're still on the short list of teams who, if things break right, can absolutely win the national championship. But let's talk about Texas now, who drops that match 5-2 to Stanford. They then play Cal in a rematch of a national indoor match we saw, and Texas got the win there. Texas gets the win here as well. And once again, Texas taking doubles. And, you know, we see uh, some team switches this time, you know, over the weekend. Uh, this time we see it's Stearns and Collins at the number one spot. They earn a victory. Shavatpan and Zinalova at three. They earn a victory. You look for Stearns the next day. She bounces back four and three over Giovara. You look for Zainalova, who uh, also, uh, you know, she was good in both matches. When gets a win at four against Stanford, gets a win at three uh, against Cal. You look for them. Where did they find that third point? It was Uvrutsky at six uh, into that spot. Obviously, uh, it means no Rapalu there. I mean, Texas had to scrap this weekend. It wasn't a consistent, all right, you know, it's going to be Shavatapan, Lulu son, Kylie Collins, find one more that it was just seemingly in Rapalu and just all last season, they cruised against everyone. It's not the case to start this year. And you look for Charlotte Shavatapan, no shame in losing a match to Kaya Wiersholm, no shame in losing a match in three sets to Angelica Blake, but that's now a couple more losses piling up for her early in the season. We see her now at the number four spot, you know, Zainalova, Zemaripa, Uvrutsky, Rapalu, Still unclear who the six should be for Texas. And 
you know, again, I guess the simple way of asking, are you buy, sell, holding with this Texas team in 2022? It feels like, and this is crazy to say, because they've got the defend, they're the defending NCAA champions who bring back three to four starters, depending on the given day. But it feels like this team's a year away. Like it really does. Like this team next year lights out if they keep everyone. This year, they're young. Yeah, I don't know if I would frame it like that. I don't think it's the inexperience that is getting to this team. I mean, look, they went one and one. I think there were pros and cons, right? The pros here were doubles, right? They had lost three of their last four doubles points, which was, how's this for a stat? As many doubles points as they had lost the entire 2021 season. Yeah, right? and so. Right. To, to get doubles with different lineups against both Stanford and Cal, that's a win for them. Uh, Zainalova getting two victories, that's a win for them. Stearns, one and one. Look, Stearns against Connie Mom, that's a match that Peyton Stearns needs to win, right? If she has pro aspirations, that was a disappointing result for me. It's a frustrating match to watch for sure. Um and then Collins and Shavathapan, 0 and 4 on the weekend, right, in singles. And so, you know, I'm a hold on this Texas team just because I just can't imagine a world where Collins and Shavathapan are still losing 0 and 2 uh, in, in matches in May. But I think they'll have to turn it around. So let me ask you with Texas, more likely at this point, quarterfinals or finals of the NCAA tournament? quarterfinals. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And again, they're good everywhere. It's just, and I actually think Stearns has taken a step forward this season, perhaps more than anyone else. I think she is. I mean, she was really good last year, but you can tell on the, I, everything's just on her terms now. And that's the sign of the elite of the elite in college tennis. I think Connie Ma is that good. Again, you were at the match, so you speak for it better than I do, but yeah, I mean, if you're Texas, you get the win over Cal, a puzzling Cal team that I just, I don't even know what to make of at this point. They're playing around with their roster and, you know, their singles lineup as well. You see El Sola up to two. She rewards them with a win over Collins, even off though, dropping the match at three. Weirsholm still lights out at four. And, you know, they usually split five and six between Rosenquist and Biller Muller. This team's also really, really good. But, you know, again, Texas Cal, like, is that a 2023 NCAA championship match preview? Maybe. 2022? I'm a little bit less sure. Uh, any final thoughts on the Cal side of this equation? Um, I mean, a little disappointing just to have play the same matchup again and kind of come up with basically the same result against Texas, right? It's always tough to beat a team twice, and Texas made it kind of look easy. Fair. All right. Well, with that said, let's go to the other half of the road trip uh, from a top 10 team. Pepperdine coming to the Midwest, get a 4-3 win over my Michigan Wolverines. And you look for Pepperdine, they do seem to have solved some things in doubles. Brodus and Chen, you know, continue to be undefeated at that number two spot. They get a 6-2 win over Fliegner and Miller. And then they clinch 7-6 over Boulay and Allen, that doubles point against Ohio State. I also thought if you're Taya Pachkaleva, much, much better this weekend than at the national indoors. And you saw her and Fakuda wins over Michigan wins over Ohio state as well. They swept doubles points, but man, if you go listen to our college contender show on this Pepperdine team, our prophecy, you know, prophesizing for this team was if they win a doubles point, you're just never going to beat them because I mean, you have Janice Chen at four or five and you have Savannah Brodus blue chip recruit 
firmly at six. You've got, you know, one of Czar, Pashkaleva, Fakuda, Flores in the bottom half of the lineup as well. You feel like they should sweep that every time. You look for this team, you know, again, singles this weekend. Overall on the weekend, you know, they lose 5-2 to Ohio State. And, you know, they lose five singles matches. So they're five, you know, one in five in singles there, three and three against Michigan, four and eight against Big Ten teams on the road in singles. I know it was indoor tennis, and let's wait till we get outdoors always with a team from Malibu. But four and eight in singles, Jay, this team went four and eight in singles over the course of the weekend. That is shocking. Yeah, I mean, the irony of all irony is that you feel good about Pepperdine's doubles point and they can't find, you know, three singles victories uh, is is just shocking. And it's not even like it's coming like, oh, man, Ohio State and Michigan have like lights out one and twos. And, you know, so they're putting quick wins on the boards like it's not even that right? it's happening at all lines, right? It's happening up and down. Well, here's what I would say quickly. Shuri Fukuda is playing well. And her losing to Contos four and four, Arena just played really well. You know, Shuri beats uh, Kari Miller two and one, I think, against Michigan on Friday. Like, Shuri is playing as well as you can expect from a number one. I think Zara's playing pretty well at two as well. It's everything else. Like, you just don't know what Chen you're going to get on every day, on any given day. And Brodus, there are times when she looks really much, you know, very much like a freshman. Pashkaleva does not have her legs under her right now. I don't know what's happening with Vicky Flores. I've given up trying to figure it out, but it's just, it's just puzzling. It's totally puzzling. I do think, I mean, you're definitely right about Fukuda. She's had good wins this entire spring. Uh, Zar has looked good. I do think she'll be a much better outdoors. hundred Right. Like she's someone that um, when the game translates to outdoors, like she'll be much tougher to physicality. Beat. Good luck. Ex- exactly. And just the, the elements and tracing, tracking down those balls. Um, she had such a clean ball too. You just feel like these other players are teeing off on it indoors. Her forehand which, is so circular. It's yeah, just so it's, delightful to watch. Yeah, it is. Um, but look, I mean, she takes a loss at three, which is tough, but I don't think she loses that match outdoors. And Sydney Ratliff played so well, the freshman for Ohio State. We'll get to that side of the equation in a second. But yeah. yes, I agree with you. So I think it's like, OK, doubles, Fakuda, Czar, they're playing well. They can get taken out on, on a good day. But you look at some of the veterans. I mean, Patrick Glaive, she's not a veteran, right? But she had played lights out last season. Right. But she lost one match all year. Um, Vicky Flores has more experience than just about anyone else in college tennis. Uh, and to have Janice Chen at five and to be losing that match, I mean, or four is, against Coley Allen. It's just like, right. Yeah. It's just like, I agree. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, she was sorry. So she, they flipped her. She was at five yeah. against Michigan, four against, yeah. I mean, you know, she did pull out the win against Michigan, but to lose to Coley Allen, that is a not a good loss for Janice Chen, right? This is now a Janice Chen who won't make the NCAA singles tournament after making the NCAA semifinals last year. And, you know, Brodus at six, she's got the game, right? I feel like she's going to be fine. She brings the firepower. She brings the vocality as well. Um, It's just a team where it's just the answer. the, The puzzle pieces are there. The puzzle has just not been created. 100%. I think you look for this Pepperdine team, a couple of things. A, Janice Chen does scrape out the three-set win at five to clinch against Michigan over Julia Fligner. That's a big moment for Chen at five. And Vicky Flores ultimately got the win at five. And, like, that's a spot they should never lose. 
Brodus won an O and O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Vicky Flores ended up winning against uh, Ohio State at five, and so and she oh, but not against Michigan. Yeah. yeah, not against Michigan. But I'm saying they were undefeated on the weekend at five. So oh, okay. big picture, yeah, you should be winning that. Brodus wins O and O. She then loses a three set match to Luna Dorme, who lost once last year. That's not a bad loss for a freshman on the road. Third set, six four in the third. Like that's just not a bad loss. I agree. I'm like I'm not too disappointed with Brodus. It's three, four, five. Like Pachkaleva, Flores, and Chen should go two and one every time. And with how well they're playing doubles and how well Fakuda and Zar have played up top, you're you're up two one through those three points. And you're losing matches at three through six with the talent that they have. It just doesn't make sense. And now on the flip side, you do have to give all of the credit in the world to Ohio State, who dropped a brutal doubles point. You know, Boulay and Allen had fought all the way back and for them to drop that breaker to Brodus uh, and Chen, you could have seen that pop in the balloon and just deflating this Ohio State team, particularly after they dropped doubles points to Duke, to NC State on the road. They've had that script happen a couple of times. Florida, you know, Auburn, they've lost a lot of doubles points. But you see that callousing. Yeah, and you see that callousing helping this team. They run out and rip off five first sets and singles. And let me be clear. Yeah, you're you're concerned if you're Pepperdine because of the trend, but Ohio State thoroughly outplayed them at just about every single spot in the lineup. I mean, Contos is every bit the number six player in the country her ranking would indicate at number one. And, you know, Isabel Boulay's jump at this number two single spot to be a top 35 player in the country, to have the weapon she has. Yeah, we're indoors right now, which you feel like will always be her best, but she has played her best. Coley Allen, up a set, 3-2, deuce point, ace T in the second set, like to take a 4-2 lead, just massage that break lead all second set long, came up with the big serves, came up with the track down of the extra ball whenever she needed it. It's what you expect out of a fifth-year senior. She has been better at the Vicky Flores role than Vicky Flores has been this season for Pepperdine comparatively. And then again, you already know Marzal and Dorme lost three combined matches. I don't care what the level of competition was. They lost three combined matches at five and six last year. If Sydney Ratliff's going to be this good at three as a freshman, and oh my God, was she aggressive. She took it to Lisa Zar. That was the best match on the board. And Sydney Ratliff just was the, the more aggressive of the two players. Yeah. Ohio State is top 10 good. Ohio State has built off of last season's success and taken another step forward this season. And yes, we had to talk about the Pepperdine aspect of things first. And by the way, shout out to my Wolverines, who I know we're just kind of throwing aside here, but they're good. Like we are good. We are in the mix for a top 16 seed, undeniably. God willing, if we can beat Ohio State, their win over Pepperdine, our win over Cal, everyone's in the ball game now. And they've got wins over Florida as well and Auburn. Point being, Ohio State, you know, the the computer polls love them because they've only played good teams. But they are that good. Like, they are going to be top five, and they should be. Yeah, I mean, someone on this podcast mocked my Ohio State. (laughs) No, uh, I just didn't know if they were deserving of – you know, the top five ranking, but they're, you know, I have moved them up accordingly. Um, Look, they, this is the Ohio state that we were expecting to see when we started the season, right? When you just talk about the experience up and down. I'm going to disagree. They're better. I'm sorry. I'm coming in hot. We pre-recorded our men's show right before. And, you know, sometimes it's three voices versus two. Now we can really get into it. I've got that energy built up. This team, like Ratliff's better than I thought she would be. 
Allen's better than I thought she would be. But most importantly, Isabel freaking Boulay is not just a, an option at number two singles. She's one of the five best number two singles through the course of this season, which like you just did not expect to say. I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, they have been better than we expected, right? I mean, certainly we did not expect them to beat Pepperdine yeah. ever, right, this season. So, yes, they have been better than expected. Um, we should, I'll just throw in the caveat of indoors, but the reality is, is they're going to play the majority of this season indoors. This is going to be a top five, top six team come end of season. So, this is a team that, and again, we've already stocked up these wins that are going to just appreciate over time. So this team has looked really good. Uh, there's not much more to say. I mean, up and down the lineup, you feel good about every position. Well, here's what I would say. You go back to the 2020 indoors in Chicago where this team had Fakuda and Wolf, but it was the formation of the nucleus with Dorme and Marzal and Contos and Allen and Boulay all around. That group, I think, went one and two over the weekend, maybe two and one, but they looked pretty solid. I remember a battle with Texas. They play Michigan that weekend. It's all blending together at this point. Come on, Alex, you're off your game. Um, Last year, Oklahoma State, they did go one and two, and it was a disaster of a match against Northwestern that they ended up dropping a 4-3 on that final day. And then, you know, they play a really good Big Ten season, win the Big Ten tournament, get wins over Northwestern, split with Michigan as well play uh, Texas really close in the round of 16 before getting knocked off. You look for them this year, really close against Duke four three loss, really close against NC state four three loss. They got blitzed by North Carolina, but now this group went over Florida, went over Auburn, but a signature confidence building win now against last year's NCAA finalist in Pepperdine. This team can now look in the mirror and say, we can beat anyone. And yeah, you're right. It was indoors, but you cannot understate the value or overstate, excuse me, the value of that sort of victory from a confidence boosting perspective. Uh, What a win for the Buckeyes. Again, I think a really good weekend for the Big Ten up top. Michigan playing Pepperdine as well as they did. Ohio State ultimately earning that victory. Those were your two most notable road trips, though. Again, Texas one and one lost to uh, Stanford went over Cal Pepperdine went over Michigan loss to Ohio State. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's move on, though, now to another big result we had on the weekend. The Blue-Gray Classic, always a fun eight-team event over in Mobile, Alabama. And, you know, another team we had circled as not quite Preseason top 10, but in the mix, certainly one of those sleeper teams. You know, Oklahoma was the obvious one. Cal was the obvious one ever. They had home, But Oklahoma State's got some pieces. And you look for them this weekend. 4-0 over Yale, a really good 4-0 win over Furman. Then 4-2 over Wake Forest to earn the Blue-Gray Classic title. They're flying in the private jet out of the Blue-Gray as well, back home, which is just freaking awesome. Oklahoma State, are they the second best? Uh, second best. I mean, that race for the third best team, right, in the Big 12, because certainly Oklahoma, Texas have earned the right to the top two. 
is Oklahoma State three, like pretty definitively now over Baylor? And, you know, how close is that gap between Oklahoma State, Texas, and Oklahoma? These cowgirls can play. Yeah, well, the rankings would tell you that the gap is not that far at all, right? This is a a top 10 team last week, and they're going to move up a spot, uh, a few spots this week. So uh, this is a really good Oklahoma State team. Uh, We got to see Alana Wolfberg back in action. This is another team that didn't have one of their top players from last year. She played in both doubles and singles occasionally at the blue gray. This team is super talented. Um, They have some really talented freshmen based on what I saw from Texas. I mean, I mean, where's the match this year, right? Who has home court advantage? Like it's going to be close. Uh, Just, this is a team that you look one through six uh, really solid throughout throughout the positions. No, you know, I know we're getting rid of this word from our vocabulary lock, right. But super competitive at every single position. And I thought looked really strong in doubles as well. So, I mean, the big 12 is going to have three top 10 teams going into the big 12 regular season and they keep getting wins over each other. I mean, you talk about that race for eight this season, big 12 is in there for a conversation around having two, maybe even three teams, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, you look for this team, 33 and eight overall in singles. They're getting the job done anywhere, you know, everywhere. They're nine and one overall. They're one loss in Columbus to Ohio State where they were down, you know, no Lisa Marie Rio, no, uh, no Wolf, as you mentioned as well. It's just this team has options. They're young as well. And, you know, Maya Swanka has looked excellent at the top of the lineup, yep. freshman acclimating herself so well. And well now getting to play two, which I think is a big advantage. Exactly. For and Rojas at six has been excellent as well. They're just, they're good everywhere. They're and no match. They're going to roll over, uh, you know, win healthy. And they've got that depth. And I'm fascinated to see them play Texas and fascinated to see them play Oklahoma as well. And again, Furman's freaking good. Yeah. And to beat them 4-0 and, you know, to get the 4-2 victory over Wake Forest as well, you're just beating all the teams you need to beat to solidify a spot as a top 16 seed. It's been a pretty strong strength of schedule thus far. Wins over USC, Furman, Wake, Princeton, LSU, whatever. But, you know, again, I've been thoroughly impressed with this Oklahoma state team. Now you look at some of the other blue gray results. And certainly if you're Wake forest, you took care of business Four over Troy four, two over a good Texas tech top 25, Texas tech team. Wake forest has kept itself alive, particularly in a loaded ACC to get a top 16 seed Furman four, three over Alabama, the big four, two bounce back win over Texas tech. That's a critical non-conference victory for a non-power five schools. They try to, make some sort of push. Now top 16 is a little tougher for Furman, but certainly they will be around that top 25 conversation. You know, Yale avoids going 0 and three Alabama gets the win over Yale and, you know, Arizona, nice wins over Troy and Alabama, I suppose as well. Give me your other blue gray takeaways, Texas tech. You disappointed. Like, I mean, it's a tough, it was a really tough draw. You know, there are some really good teams on the women's side. Yeah. I wouldn't say disappointed in Texas tech. I would say impressed with Furman, right? I mean, we've been impressed with Furman, but they've been losing, right? We've been playing teams really close. And so to get these two wins, uh, you know, that vaults them into the top 25, which is is really critical for them to get those non-conference matches over power five schools. So 
I mean, ultimately, I think your three winners are definitely Oklahoma State, Furman, and Wake Forest, all who kind of accomplish what they're looking to accomplish at the Blue-Gray, which is get those non-conference matches, get some ranking points, moving into conference play. And I think you feel have to feel good about all of those teams kind of being in the in the hunt here towards the end the top 16 particularly wake who's going to just going to get a lot of shots against top acc teams and if they can snag one or two upsets they're going to be putting themselves pretty primely in top 16 absolutely i I come out of this who still has a shot at top 16 i think the answer is oklahoma state and i think the answer is wake and you know again if texas tech has a good big 12 season if they can steal one of first texas and oklahoma maybe in lubbock obviously we know things get funky there and you know beat an oklahoma state or beat a baylor then they are in the mix um but no again these are a couple of you know Furman, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Wake Forest, all top 25 quality teams. Bama, Arizona, you know, uh, Troy and Yale are ain't too shabby either. This blue-gray event's really fun. Three matches in two days. They play around with it. Hopefully, we'll be able to cover it here in the future at Crack Rackets. But again, shout out to the Cowgirls, Oklahoma State, 3-0 on the weekend. And yeah, they're going to be top 16, I believe, when the next edition of the computer rankings come up with top top eight top eight excuse me yeah Yeah. that's that's pretty good uh according to my calculations with that said let's talk about something funky going on out west ucla has announced to the world hey we're here we're back we've decided to start our season and you look for the bruins big week for them they get the victory over cal get the victory over sc as well You look for the Trojans. I mean, you are scratching your head, certainly, if you're Coach Swain. After what was arguably the best fall in program history, this team is now six and six. And you look at, you know, they've lost, I believe, I think it is six out of their last seven matches. And it's just, you know, again, over these last time, 4-1 at Oklahoma State, 4-1 at UCLA, 4-3 at home against UC Santa Barbara on Saturday. Let's start glass half full, though. UCLA's back? Like, where are we at with the Bruins after a big weekend for uh, Coach Sampras Weber and the team? Yeah, I mean... inexplicably so i mean it's like all the same players it's just like we turned on the light switch and forgot the season had started uh but yeah i mean ucla is back right they get that dominant win over cal they get the win over usc they're back into the top 16 ish range uh which is which is good for them probably not where they they wanted to be and i do think this is a team that's going to continue to get better right you just look at the three they're starting three freshmen so you have to assume that they'll continue to get better throughout the season and, you know, assuming both Forbes and Bolton stay healthy throughout the season, I know that's been a concern, particularly for Bolton. Look, this is a team that can can upset anyone on any given day. They've looked really strong in doubles as well. So, I mean, they're back. They're playing well. I think the hard part now for the Pac-12 is there's just not a lot of points to go around, right? I mean, Cal is going to be up there boosted by their Pepperdine win. Stanford's clawing to get back into the top 25 and then you have UCLA and USC down at around 16. So there's no opportunity for top 10 points, which makes all these PAC 12 teams pretty dangerous moving forward. 
Yeah, I, I think the big thing if you're UCLA is that Bolton and Forbes are starting to finally look like the players we know they're capable of being at the top of the lineup. And you look for Abby Forbes, one in one win over Haley Giovara. And then, you know, you look for Forbes, seven, six, four, seven, five win over Aaron Cayetano. You look for Bolton, she's up six, three, six all on Selma Ewing. She gets a three and two win over Al Sola. That was always going to be the foundation for this team's success. But guess what? Over the past week, it was the foundation for this team's success. On the flip side, if you're the USC Trojans, where do you go from here? Like where are, I mean, they're not their healthiest, obviously. And they're still trying to acclimate Piper Mora, the freshman. They're still down Naomi Chung, who is going to be a massive contributor to this team when healthy. But they're six and six, Jay. They're six and six. And they've lost six of seven. Right, and that's the thing, right? They started the season 5-0. And and now they're six and six Uh, and that five and no stretch, right. Was an on the road kickoff weekend, getting wins over Baylor and Miami, a Miami team in particular, who has continued to play really well. uh, Baylor has had some struggles. So it's perplexing. I think at least those five matches that they lost, right. That you were kind of talking through, you know, you lose to teams at, at indoors, you lose to Oklahoma state, you lose to Oklahoma. Those are all, good teams. I think the manner in which they were losing was pretty surprising, but then to lose to UCSB third time in program history, losing to UCSB. I mean, that is a very bad loss for the USC program. I don't know how you, how, what the glass half full is, you know, I mean, Cayetano finally got a win at one. That was much needed. That was after clinch. They just are do not have the answers right now at four, five, and six. And if they're going to have off days from Cayetano and Ewing at the top of the lineup, this team is not going to be the UCSB caliber team. And they showed that this weekend. No, it's tough. Absolutely. And you look for the Trojans again, the way they lost that match, dropping doubles, dropping four, five, and six. It's just, it's an eerie, it's an eerie start. Absolutely. It's an eerie sign of just how dependent a, they are on Cayetano and Ewing at the top. And just again, figuring out those options when, you know, Wilson at six on paper, you really like, but you know, figuring out Han, Mora, Piper, just getting them playing their best in the middle of that lineup. And, you know, again, working Chong back to health and just finding something to build off of, finding some confidence here for the Trojans. That's going to be so critical because, again, Stanford's still really young. UCLA has really struggled. You could argue the winner of the fall. I mean, Stanford's the number one team going into it, but like has Washington had a better, a better first two months than USC or UCLA? Probably. And so it's just, it's a fascinating Pac-12 year. And that's something obviously we'll continue to keep our eye on as well. But no, certainly again, one half of LA, if you're a UCLA fan, you're feeling good, you're rising after this weekend. If you're USC, you're scratching your head. Uh, about where your team is at heading into March. With that said, let's get to the best of the rest. Let's get to the additional results we have on hand. We start with the best of the rest, UNC, UVA, Duke. Are they, I mean, obviously you throw NC State in that mix as the class of the ACC this year, but you look for what UNC was able to accomplish over the weekend. Good victories for them. 6-1 over a Notre Dame team that I think is sneaky good, Jay. Like, I'm not really sure what to think 
of this Notre Dame team. But, you know, again, for Carolina, they get good wins. Duke uh, gets a good win on the weekend as well. And just uh, Duke gets a win over Notre Dame 5-2. Excuse me, as Notre Dame makes that North Carolina stretch, you look, uh, you know, UVA continues to look pretty solid as well. They get a 6-1 win over Syracuse. And I believe in terms of the Friday matches, yes, yeah, 6-1 win over Boston College. Duke over Louisville, North Carolina, again, over Notre Dame. Where are you at with the ACC? Well, you know, again, what do you think of these schools this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a good start for kind of the top tier of the ACC. Obviously, NC State hasn't started their conference play yet. Uh, I think the only result probably worth mentioning there is I think you're right. Notre Dame is sneaky good. They took doubles and four first sets against UNC. I mean, on paper, it was a 6-1 win. UNC came back, but... I mean, I pulled up my phone from that Stanford match and was pretty shocked to see that. So Notre Dame going to be competing pretty well there for kind of the middle um, middle tier of the ACC. But overall, I think, you know, you you talk about the UNC team still being young. This is their first ACC conference as as a as a team. So um, good wins for the three of those programs um, and, and no surprises from results. It's good to see Chloe back healthy and playing, certainly. And again, Virginia's making that North Carolina swing this weekend. They've got Duke. They've got UNC. Prove it matches for all three of those teams. That's going to yep. be a really, really fun weekend of ACC action. Let's talk about UCF. Bounce back. 4-2 win over Tulsa for Central Florida. And again, for this UCF team, uh, you know, I believe they play Oklahoma here this weekend as well. I think they lose that match 5-2, but signs of life, certainly, right? For a team that was Sweet 16 last year and a heartbeat away from the quarterfinals. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about UCF a few times and just the up and down nature of their season so far. I, they were, uh, I was impressed with them this weekend. They had five players against Oklahoma, but they, it was still a five, two match. They got wins at two and three over the Corley sisters in singles. They're still without uh, Zaleva, uh, who's the, one of their top players. So I thought that was a, a good loss actually. And then uh, to get the win uh, over Baylor, a four Oh team, they were able to oh, field yeah. a, a, a six player. That's a good win from a ranking perspective, Baylor, a top 25 team. So you know, they have a lot more. I mean, it feels like everyone has scheduled UCF. Everyone likes to make the trip down to Lake Nona. So they've got a, a rough schedule. So it's good to see them at least one being able to feel the full roster moving forward and and two being able to give some competition to these teams. Very well said. Um, let's talk about Tulsa. You look for them this weekend, knocked off, uh, upset by Memphis, also knocked off by UCF. I mean, yeah, it was tough after a Tulsa team that gone off to a really good start to the year. Yeah, I mean, I think they were ranked within the top 20 yeah. um, coming into this weekend. So that's that's rough um, for this Tulsa team. Um, I guess there can only be so much success in Oklahoma uh, in, in, in one <laughs> given year. Um, but yeah, three just, uh, teams is just too many. It's too many. Exactly. Only the big state schools. And when one's down, Tulsa can rise, but not this year. Yeah. Who do they think they are? Texas? Come on now. <laughs> um, all right. With all of that said, let's get to some additional results. And I want to play a new game we're introducing here. And we're probably going to do this every week because honestly, it was a really fun format I did with Matt and Chris when we recorded earlier. I think it's going to be even more fun with a guest worthy of the game in UJ, our West Coast correspondent. With that in mind, it's pretty simple. Good win, bad loss. This result more indicative of the team that won and, you know, more concerning for the team that lost. Obviously, every match is going to be some degree of both, but I'm curious which way you lean. With that in mind, we will have a rapid-fire clock moving forward. As soon as I give Wes off more than 10 minutes notice, we're going to do this sort of segment, but let's get into it. 
Good win, bad loss. Of course, you keep an eye on do these teams get into the NCAA tournament, top 16 seed, et cetera, with this perspective. Start with the Big Ten team, Wisconsin. 4-3 win over SMU. Good win, Wisconsin. Bad loss, SMU. Good win, Wisconsin. I mean, I think they looked good indoors and they looked capable of beating an SMU team. I agree. I think that Nielsen Tennis Stadium is going to get an updated women's NCAA appearance banner. And I think the Wisconsin women are going to find them. I mean, the race for four in the Big Ten, who's the favorite right now? After Michigan, you know, Ohio State, Northwestern, who is the fourth favorite? Why can't it be Wisconsin? Coach McKenna, I think, has that team headed in the right direction. Tough weekend for the SMU women. 4-1 loss to Arkansas afterwards as well. Good win, bad loss as we look at the SMU side, who I believe were top 35 coming in, or 36 coming into the weekend. Oh, losing to Arkansas? Yeah. That's a bad loss. Yeah, that's tough. I agree with you. All right, Illinois, 4-2 over Cornell. Good win. I agree with you. Georgia Tech, 4-3 over FSU. Miami, though, 4-3 over Georgia Tech. Good win, bad loss. What does that tell you about the ACC? Okay. Um, I know. So Georgia Tech beat Florida State. 4-3. Great win for Georgia yeah. Tech. They Like, <laughs> any win would have been a good win for Georgia Tech. Lose to Miami, right? Yeah. And then they lose three. I mean, good win for Miami. Um, but, like, yeah. Expected. What what that tells me is again the separation of the pack after you know Wake Forest is going to be right there with these teams. FSU still played Georgia Tech four three and like they have not had a good start to their season. Shows that again now in ACC time, time for these Seminoles to rock and roll. I am so fascinated to see the top, honestly, top ten of the eight. Like where does Notre Dame fit into the mix in right? the ACC? Yeah. Are they on the Miami tier? Like are they going to beat Florida State? That's just going to be. Such a fascinating, you know, from South Bend, Indiana to go down in a Florida swing. Oh, that's I mean, that's a that's a tough swing, even for outdoor schools. That's what I'm saying. So that's going to be really, really fun to watch. Arizona State, 4-3 over Kansas, 4-2 over San Diego. Good wins, bad losses. Great wins. Well, great wins. Well, for Arizona State, great wins. Um, And we'll just keep it on the positive there. I mean, Kansas coming off that win over Old Dominion, San Diego, sneaky, good team. Um, you know, a solid top of the Bad lineup. loss for San Diego only because they're not power five. And you just, you need to take that one. That's a really Agreed. good uh, win for Arizona state. It just hurts for San. Not it a bad does. loss in terms of quality of play, but bad loss in terms of for the schedule. Exactly. Forward. Yep. I agree with you. Columbia four, two over Washington state, Iowa state four Oh over Washington state. The reason I have these in Washington state was 65 in the rankings coming into the week. I was like, Really? I was like, I had no idea. Washington State women, shout out to you. But I mean, again, Iowa State for a win. Welcome to the ball game, Iowa State. Yeah, we've been waiting for Iowa State, right? And they're moving up the rankings. They just need wins, right? And they I mean, got a four one win over Columbia as well. Yep. Yeah, I think that those are both good wins. Uh, Washington State has strength at the top of the lineup, so they're dangerous. You know, against to get a point or two against any of these teams. Uh, good win for, for the Iowa State program. Denver four three over Iowa. Colorado four one over Iowa. I feel you, Sasha and Daniel. Like, oh, it's just another tough weekend. It's just been tough break after tough break. I know that no longer in the NCAA uh, conversation, which we know was the heartbreak last season. They just have to run the gauntlet in the Big Ten, and they need to beat one of the top three. They need to go like eight or whatever the number is and beat all the schools. Um, Last one, Utah, 4-0 over BYU. Utah? 
right yeah right there i mean i think both their men and women are going to be ranked in like the top 30 40? yeah, yeah top 40 right utah um i mean good win this let's not forget this is a byu team that beat baylor yeah <laughs> to start the season so good win for them i mean maybe utah's the the team in the pack 12 uh who at least emerges and gives some of these other um programs a run for their money I think I'm just going to keep saying it. Utah, (laughs) like you again, the Utes on the rise. No, it was a really fun week of college tennis. Did I miss anything? I think we got all the results. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so with that said, only a couple things left for us to do. Let's get to our rankings here this week. And again, we've settled in to our normal show routine here. We're going to run through all the results, talk about the rankings now, get to the week ahead, but let's do our top 10 rankings first. And again, we're recording this on Monday. That's before the newest edition of the rankings come out fairly stable at the top. Obviously the big riser, Ohio state who was either outside or at number 10 moves up to number four here in our rankings. Same top three as before, Virginia, Ohio State were tied for five. Super producer Daniel Westoff getting to see the Buckeyes this weekend on our Cracked Racket stream. He breaks the tie. Ohio State four, Virginia five. That's Got Pepperine right six. Yeah, I agree. Virginia six, Stanford seven. Well, I don't know if I agree. Well, whatever my ranking said, maybe I didn't agree. Uh, Virginia, uh, Pepperine six, Stanford seven, Texas eight, AM nine. Georgia there at 10. It's the best three and two team you'll ever see. Who are we missing on this list? I mean, Duke has the chance to prove it this weekend with a win over Virginia. And I actually don't think either team would fall out of the rankings, even no matter who. I mean, I'm still probably going to have both in my top 10, assuming it's a close match. A&M, they're just like, can we start the SEC, please? They're like, we want people to remember how good, like AM is the sleeping giant, in my opinion, they're at nine, where they are, we know they're good, but they might be top tier good. Like they might be right there on the level with the Ohio State's Virginias of the world. We just really haven't seen them flex their muscles since the national indoors. I know that was only two weeks ago. Um, and I just like, I still have in my head, if they win that Cal match, how different is the national indoors? Like, do they beat Pepperdine the next day? I honestly think they do. Um, where are you at with the top 10? I apologize. Yeah. Well, they didn't beat Cal. Yeah. Right. And so well, like they would argue, <laughs> uh, you know, they might've, um, go on. Yeah. Um, and, and they're only their best win has been USC. Right. Which continues to depreciate. So they haven't both. You look at Texas A&M and Georgia are actually just in our top 10 because of like appreciation for the program and the talent they have on paper, not necessarily their results thus far. And I think nothing to drop out of the top 10 is the real truth. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I mean, I don't think we mentioned like Stanford now making the appearance in the top 10. They replaced Cap. They replaced Cal. Exactly. Only room for one Bay Area team. I get it. Um, Uh, overall, I think this looks right. I I think, um, I mean, Pepperdine is just the question mark, right? Um, so yeah, I think this, this looks solid, not much movement other than the ones we talked about. The other teams that are, you know, we, what one we don't have is Oklahoma state, right? Oklahoma state is in the top 10 rankings. Uh, we don't have them there. So that's a notable absence on our, on for us. Yeah, them and Duke would be right on the outskirts. Cal as well, yep. Michigan as well, all in the mix for those top 10 spots. Just ultimately Georgia gets that final boost. But 
again, thin margins. Everyone's really good. And now we get to see this weekend with some conference play coming up. Who's going to separate themselves? Who are the teams to beat here as we look towards the week ahead? And, you know, again, Jay, for I know you know this, but for our listeners who don't, we're going to have a bunch of these matches on our Crack Rackets broadcast. Obviously, we're covering the SEC every Friday. It's going to be a red zone broadcast that you can find on all of the team websites, hopefully by this Friday. So again, that red zone broadcast available on each team website. Then of course, every Sunday, we're going to have our big 10 red zone broadcast, and that's going to be on our crack rackets, YouTube channel. So Friday's SEC, Sunday's big 10. I mean, you look at the matches this week, we have them good matches across conferences and we'll start, you know, again, as you look towards the week, I suppose that Wednesday Baylor at rice is the early chaser, but I mean, the action really gets going on Friday. You've got, you know, Florida state at NC state, Virginia at Duke. And honestly, a USC at Utah match that all of a sudden has become fascinating. Miami at Wake Forest, Kentucky at Alabama, Ole Miss at Georgia, Washington at Arizona State. I mean, again, up and down the board, really good stuff on Friday. You, you look towards Saturday, Michigan's at UCF. And, you know, again, good match. I mean, obviously that's one I'm going to be looking towards San Diego at Pepperdine. I think that's a really fun test for the waves. And then we get back into it Sunday, Virginia at UNC, Miami, at NC State, Texas, at UCF, Florida, at Texas A&M, Kentucky, at Auburn. I mean, FSU at Wake Forest is like the undercard. Ole Miss at Tennessee, Vanderbilt at Alabama, Northwestern at Kansas. There's even a UCLA at Utah match that I'm all in on. It's a fun weekend, Jay. I know I mentioned a lot of matches there. What are you watching most closely? Yeah, and for all, the list of all those matches, college tennis ranks, week, week ahead. ahead. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, course, that's the can, place to go. You can go and get those. I mean, Scoring me, and video links as well. Amazing. Um, for me, you know, first and foremost, it's the Virginia travels to the tobacco road, right? Taking on UNC and Duke, that has a lot of implications on rankings and you know, who will ultimately emerge victorious from the ACC. So watching that one closely, super fun. Both the men and the women for Virginia are in North Carolina. So, you know, for me, that makes it easy to watch. Um, so looking forward to those matches. I'm also fascinated to see Georgia opening up their SEC play. You call them the best three and two team in the country, which they definitely are, but they need to start getting wins, right? They're going to be, you know, plummeting in, in the rankings pretty soon here without these wins. So fascinated to see them play NC state kicking off their uh, ACC campaign. You know, we talked about kind of Duke UNC UVA kicking off against like Louisville and Notre Dame and, you know, NC State, they've got Florida State, Miami off the bat. So that's going to be a good test for the NC State team who we haven't seen play since they took out uh, Texas in Austin. And then I think last two things for me are can Stanford back up its win over Texas, right? They're playing Pepperdine in Malibu should be a, a really fascinating match. Again, this is a Stanford team that needs as many wins as they can if they want to, if we as fans want to avoid having them as like ranked 18 going into the, yeah. um, going into the double tournament. Nah, and then it's last weirder when they're a top 10 seed now, I'm <laughs> used to them at like a solid 12. Right. Exactly. And you know, they'll draw Florida or UNC in the first yeah. round. Um, and then lastly, I mean, with sec play, you look at, you talk about A&M, you talk about Auburn, are we about to see kind of this proliferation of rankings points throughout 
the SEC, right? Either A&M and Auburn are going to get two really solid wins this weekend, or if one of them stumbles, we're going to start to see the rise of the mid-tier of the SEC in the rankings, whether that be South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. So really fascinating to see how all those SEC matches shake up. Should we do three minutes on Oklahoma just because we haven't done a show this year without doing three minutes on Oklahoma? I'm like a little concerned. I'm like, is there a quarterly take we haven't given yet? Do we have another Guzman update? Um, how, how I have a, I have a Guzman update for you. Oh, let's go. Give me the update. So um, uh, teams have been posting these mic'd up segments on Twitter, which are very fun, by the way. Florida posted one. Oklahoma posted one today. And there's a there is an action shot of Dana Guzman in that video hitting ground strokes, no tape, nothing on her. It's a good sign if you're a Sooner fan. It's a good sign indeed. And no Alana Smith update, but of course we're keeping our eye on that as well as, you know, again, there are a lot of, I think the teams on the women's side are just playing better to start the year than the ones on the men's are, but you still feel like there's a lot of room for all of these teams to continue to get better as well. And that's, what's going to make it such a fun 2022 college tennis season. And of course we'll be here to cover it all every week on the deciding point. Now, again, we apologize for not being live this week. We'll be back at our normal time slot slot live seven, 9 PM. Excuse me. We will be live 9 PM Eastern time. Let's try that again on Tuesday, 9 PM Eastern time on Tuesday each and every week to recap the Division I Women's College Tennis World. Of course, you can read more about the best matches of the week on the No Ad No Problem blog, written each and every week by my friend John Parsons. Jay, how are we doing with our predictions? Are we still undefeated as a collective? Well, so this past weekend, I wrote about Texas Stanford, and I got that one wrong. Uh, uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have uh, bet against Stanford on that one. And then the one I was excited about, Harvard Northwestern on the men's canceled. side canceled. So yeah. I, I did. It, it's fitting though, that the Stanford one's my first, my first miss on the prediction side. Typical Presley Thieneman, just setting you up for failure. Um, no. Yeah. It's, uh, that it, one's a scratch. Yeah. No. Uh, again, you can read them every week. They're always a pleasure and always a delight to enjoy. And then again, here we're covering college tennis action each and every weekend. Fridays are SEC red zone broadcast. Sundays are our big 10 red zone broadcast. That's Sunday broadcast available on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel Friday on each of the SEC team pages. With all of that said, one more shout out to our friends at Swing Vision. Best in the business, folks. It is artificial intelligence for your tennis. You can learn more about them by clicking on the link in the podcast description. Use our promo code CRACK20. When you inevitably sign up, you'll get a $20 discount and a 14-day pro trial. Thank you to our friends at Swing Vision for the support. Learn more by clicking on that link in the description. With all that said, Another exciting week of college tennis in the books. And as always, I appreciate you joining me, my friend, uh, to break it all down. Any final thoughts? I think that's it. This was our first full, like, normal show, right? So this is a good cadence. I'm excited uh, to keep this up moving forward. Yeah, this is this is the groove now. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So with that said, for my fantastic co-host, John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, has the toughest of jobs to do, our friends at Swing Vision from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Jay, what do we say? I forgot to set you up. My bad. Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.